From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. All right, it's time for another short preview show. It's one of the interesting sort of perks of uh, of covering a college football playoff contender. You know, one of the legitimate top four, I guess, teams in the country. Not top two or top three, but top four. Uh is that when you're playing teams like this pit team, there's less to preview when it's this kind of matchup than there would be maybe another season. Certainly a lot less to preview than there would have been, say, two, three years ago when basically it might have been a coin flip game or you might have favored Pitt in this game. But as uh, as Wake Forest head coach Dave Clawson said after... Florida State put the beat down on them that he was disappointed because that was a program, as he said, that was a program that we thought we'd passed. And, you know, Pitt a couple of years ago was ahead of Florida State. And all of a sudden, the Knowles have just raced past everybody else. And now you're looking at a game that, to be totally honest, when you when you look at the at the film, when you look at what Pitt's looked like so far this season. This is a game that really, honestly, shouldn't be competitive if the two teams play more or less the way that they've played so far this year. Now, that does not mean that Pitt can't win this football game. One of the most bizarre outcomes of the season so far this year was Pitt beating Louisville 38-21 to at Pitt back on uh, on October 14th. That was... That's still, I, I think that's one of maybe the three most bizarre outcomes of the season so far this, this year. Because that Louisville team has looked really, really good. And this Pitt team has not. <laughs> now, the thing I think that does help explain that is, I, I went back and I watched I watched that game just because it was one of those like, I got to see what happened. And there are a couple things to to think about there. Number one is Louisville was coming off two very hard-fought wins, including a big upset of Notre Dame the prior week. And I think that was a hungover Louisville team coming into that game. If you, if you watch that game and you realize that they'd just beaten Notre Dame in you know a rush-the-field type game the week before, certain things make a little more sense. They didn't look like they had as much energy. And then... The other factor is that that game was played in a rainstorm. I mean, there was there was a lot of rain coming down, and Louisville turned it over four times, and also missed a field goal and went over two on fourth down, including a fourth down from their own like thirty yard line. So you know, confluence of events there. They didn't play very well. They they were kind of a little hungover, and then you turn it over four times in the rain. A couple of couple of uh you know bad bad ones too i mean a, one that just squirted out and then a uh, a pick six that was really the the, the backbreaker 
and you're basically in a position where you've you've given the opposing team everything they need to be to be able to beat you. And you know, if you watched that game, Louisville was the better team throughout. They were in control through about the early part of the third quarter. And then just the the weight of the turnovers and everything else just ultimately snowballed or I guess rainstormed and and that was that. For the rest of the season, Pitt has not been especially good. I got to see them uh, you know, I, I broke down a decent amount of their stuff for the North Carolina game that they played earlier in the year. That was in September. And that was actually the last game with uh, with Dracovic at, at quarterback. So you remember Phil Dracovic, the former transfer from Notre Dame to Boston College, and then from Boston College to Pitt. He's a guy that there were a lot of high hopes about. He was actually a legitimate NFL prospect at one point. And then if you remember, he hurt his hand a few years ago, a couple years ago, uh, wound up coming back, but he he never regained his throwing touch and the ball never came off his hand the same way again. And he really struggled early in the season and they were flat bad on offense at that point. And he ultimately, after that North Carolina game, decided that he was going to move to tight end and that's what they've done. So now they're on a backup quarterback or at least a guy that started the season as a backup. And they've been a little better on offense, but they've not been good enough outside of that Louisville game where he actually had his best throwing game of the season. Outside of that Louisville game, they've not been real good on offense either way. So it's just a pit team that's been through a good amount this year. They lost a lot of talent from last year's team. And, you know, Pat Narduzzi was unusually candid, although maybe less unusual for Narduzzi. When he was asked about this stuff and he basically said, well, we lost a lot of talent from last year and, you know, you generally presume you're going to be able to replace it. And we really didn't. So that's our job. And wow. Um, way to say that players on my team aren't very good. <laughs> I mean, coaches are supposed to be honest to, to a point. You're not normally supposed to be that honest and say the quiet part out loud. Every so often, though, these days, coaches are starting to say that, like, look, they've got better players than us. And that's what that boils down to. So, yeah. Now, as we look at the pit offense against the Florida State defense, basically, you're, you're looking at, a, at an offense that struggles to throw the ball with consistency. They do have some speed on the outside, a few players that, that can run by you if you're, not, if you're not awake and staying conscious. They've got some speed. And the quarterback does periodically throw, you know, a dart out there. He's a guy that can put the ball on target, but just is not a super consistent player. I mean, you look at his completion percentage on the season. And again, this is the the third guy that, that they've played. 52% completion percentage on the season and only 6.1 yards per attempt. Five touchdowns, six interceptions, and he will throw the football to the other team. I mean, Louisville had at least... One, I think two dropped or close to INTs that I saw in that game where, you know, in another in, in another in an alternate universe, they they pick off both of those and survive that game and are still unbeaten and probably in the top eight, top seven in the country. But that didn't happen. But uh, Christian Villou, uh, Villou, uh is a guy that that will throw the ball to the other team if you get pressure on him and is not going to be a super consistent thrower if you force him to just make throws to beat you. So I think that's got to be the 
the MO here because really you look at what Narduzzi did a couple of years ago. They had uh, they had Mark Whipple calling plays. They had uh, Pickett, Kenny Pickett, at quarterback, and they were they were actually a really good offense. They were running a modern offense with all sorts of motion and shifts, throwing the football all over the yard, and were really a competitive football team. And after that all went down. Pat Narduzzi decided to move on from Mark Whipple because he got frustrated that when he wanted to run the football, Whipple kept throwing it. Now, they were winning. They were throwing it really well. They, all of that, but Narduzzi wants to run the football. He wants to run it. He wants to run it when he wants to run it. And he wants to run it almost all the time. (laughs) And so he went and hired somebody who was going to emphasize running the football. And that's going to be the way that they're going to run their offense. It's going to be run the football, run the football, play action, run the football, run the football, RPO, run the football, run the football. That's what they want to do. And they're going to run a a variety of different looks, run a lot of outside zone. They'll run some inside zone. They will do some gap stuff, but really more of a, of a zone first. And then along with counter and and power and and they do do some read stuff with Villo. they did that also even with uh with the prior quarterback with Djokovic uh even though they don't look very mobile they will periodically if you're not disciplined on the edge they will get those guys out on the edge just for some free yardage so that's what they're going to do but they they're going to run uh Flemister and Hammond are the the primary backs both of those guys will run the football a lot they are, you know, they're going to run it. If if uh, Narduzzi has his way, they're going to have 40 carries in any given game. And they're going to pound the football. If you go back and you watch the North Carolina game, they ran the football up and down the field in that first quarter. They just pushed North Carolina around up front. And there, one of the drives was, uh, let's see, this was, uh, I think, the first drive of the game was what 13 plays for 78 yards here is the here's the play chart Hammond run for three Hammond run for three Djokovic pass for nine first down Djokovic run for 20 yards on a on a uh, zone read Hammond run for seven Hammond run for four Kenny Johnson that's an end around run for nine Rodney Hammond run for no gain Djokovic complete pass for four yards for a first down first and ten Kenny Johnson, run for three yards. Another, uh, like, jet sweep. Rodney Hammond, run for five yards. Now it's third and two. Djokovic, pass complete for three yards for a first down. Hammond, run seven yards for a touchdown. I mean, it's just run, run, run. Pass for, you know, possession pass for seven, for nine, for four. You know, those sorts of things. And the next drive was more of the same. Seven plays for 75 yards, of which run, Run, pass complete for one yard, pass complete for nine yards, run for 23 yards, and then, a, and then a touchdown throw. That's what they do. They are going to line up and try to pound the rock. Now, they were able to do that against North Carolina, partly because North Carolina soft up front. North Carolina got pushed around by Virginia on the, on the defensive line. North Carolina's defensive line, defensive interior got pushed around by Georgia Tech. In, especially in the fourth quarter of last week. So, you know, it boils down to, to something that Pitt could do 
against North Carolina. They've not been able to do that against a bunch of other teams. And if you look at the closest comp defensively to what they're what they're playing this week with Florida State, uh, you'd have to look at what they did against really two teams. I think Florida State's defense is somewhere between really Louisville and Notre Dame. Uh, I think they're maybe a little better than what Louisville's been so far this year. Maybe. Uh, I think they're a little better against the pass. Louisville's been really good up front. And then I think Notre Dame is probably a little better defensively than Florida State is, uh, particularly in terms of how they've stopped the run. So if you look at that at those games, you get a sense of of sort of what to expect here. Against Louisville, Pitt ran it for ran it 33 times for 88 yards, 2.67 yards per, per carry. Against Notre Dame, they ran it 19 times for 53 yards, 2.79 yards per carry. So and, and against Virginia Tech, by the way, 24 carries for 38 yards, 1.58 yards per carry. So and they've 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 played two teams this season that they've averaged more than four yards per carry against, and that is Wofford and North Carolina. Now that what that's meant is that they've had to throw it more than they've wanted. They've had they've been in positions where they've had to throw the football downfield. And really the Louisville game, the one game out of all those that they've managed to win, was a game where they were able to connect on a couple big plays down the field. That's basically that that in addition to all the turnovers and everything else, it was a couple of the big plays being able to hit those down the field that really made the difference for them to be able to win that game. So yeah, when you look at what this matchup boils down to, I think Florida State basically needs to do more or less what Notre Dame did, which is force them to throw the football to beat you and then take advantage of some of the turnovers that are going to result. It's pretty simple. And Notre Dame won that game 58 to 7, just for, for the record. And in terms of passing numbers, 28 to 45, or sorry, that's uh that's the Wake Forest game. In terms of passing numbers, 16 of 32 of 32, that's 50% for 202 yards, one touchdown, four picks. I mean, that's that's your blueprint right there. You know that this quarterback will throw the football to the other team if you if you get pressure on him. You know that they do have some speed outside, but you do know that if you are able to get them in, in advantageous down and distance and start to get some pressure, he's going to throw the football. He, he's capable of throwing some darts in there. He did against Louisville, but he is going to put the ball in danger and you're going to have some opportunities for, for turnovers. And that's really, I think, the thing that 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 that's what Florida State's going to be looking at in this game. I think you basically presume that against your defensive tackles, against your linebackers, against your front, Pitt's going to have trouble running the football. That's what they want to do. Like I said, Narduzzi wants to just run it 40 plus times per game. They've not been able to do it because they they can't push pretty much anybody around. They just don't have the players to do it. So if I'm Florida State, I, I take this as a very standard Adam Fuller game. This is actually one of those games where I think you feel comfortable playing a lot of cover seven. You don't feel like you need to to load the box too much to stop their running game. You're, you're going to sort of focus on your default default package. Okay. If you're going to run the football, we're going to have our safeties come down and take care of it out of cover seven. We're going to, you know, let the turn the defensive tackles loose, let the linebackers handle it. 
And you only really commit more to it if they do start to have success running the football. And I just don't think they will. I think up front, you've got an advantage. And then you just let your secondary take care of business against the pass. So you don't commit to, to the run quite as much as Notre Dame did. I do think that they that Villo is a guy that you you can blitz on you know second and third and long and try to speed up his processing. So after the neutral downs, you get out of a little bit more of that cover seven look, that that match quarters look that you're that you're playing as your default. I think once you get into second and third and long, that's when you can start to to try to get pressure on him. He doesn't really like it very much, obviously, uh, and you try to try to generate some of those throws into traffic. But that's basically what I what I what I see happening here. This is not a game where I think you need to even as much as what to, what they want want to run the football. I I think this is not a game where you have to load up there. This is a game where the only way I think Pitt beats you is with a combination of turnovers and big plays in the passing game. Because I don't think they're going to be able to run with consistency based on what they've done against everybody else and certainly against the teams that have more comparable players to what you've got. So that's how I would come into this game for Florida State. And I think realistically speaking, FSU should be able to hold them well under four yards per carry, even without bringing that extra guy into the box and ending up somewhere in the vicinity of what what Louisville did. Maybe a little better. Louisville gave up 4.88 yards per play and, you know, was able to basically limit them there. Notre Dame gave up 5.0 yards per play. I think those right in that area are in the territory. And Notre Dame, by the way, turned them over five times as well. That's the vicinity that I think FSU can do. Something starting with a four, and I, I feel like your your defense is probably going to feel pretty good about itself. And I do think this is a game where you're, you are expecting to get a couple turnovers. And you're, you're basically telling your players to strain just a little bit more to get that extra pressure, to be prepared in the secondary for the ball to come your way. You're going to get some opportunities here for turnovers. So for me, defensively, less than five yards per play, somewhere in the you know two turnover range, I think is is around what you would expect in this game. And you know I don't think you expect necessarily the the combination of things where Notre Dame gave up eight point two three yards per play to Pitt, but then had them turn it over a bunch. I don't think you're you're really expecting to play for that. I don't think you're actually trying to play for that, you know, to play for four turnovers, five turnovers. Yeah, five turnovers against Notre Dame. I don't think you're going to expect the five turnover thing, and I don't think you're going to expect eight plus yards per play, but you do have to respect the speed of some of those receivers, and you do have to uh, respect that the quarterback can make some of those throws over the top. You just want him to have to make some tighter window throws and and you feel like you're going to get some opportunities uh, to turn them over. So, so that's how I'm thinking about it defensively. Now on the other side of the ball, it's a whole different discussion. So Pitt of course has distinctively played their particular brand of cover four since Narduzzi has been there. And he's run that basic defense since he was at Michigan state. Now they don't run, you know, their, their, cover four look as often as they did when he first got there. And when Narduzzi first got to Pitt, that's basically all they called. I mean, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but they, they were 
probably in the 75% range in terms of how often they were in quarters. That's a cover four for, again, it's where you've got, got, you got with cover one, you have a single deep safety and you've got man in front of him. It's man free cover three. You have a single deep safety and you have your two other safeties or you have your two other deep zones covered either by corners or another safety. You got three deep zones covered by three specific players. Quarters is there's four players responsible for individual quarters of the field cover four. Now what Narduzzi does with his distinctive thing. And, you know, I, I actually clinicked uh, at one point with, uh, with Mark D'Antonio when he walked through the basics of this years back and a couple of the things that they, that they really do distinctively in that defensive uh, system that, that Narduzzi runs. One is most teams that run quarters are running quarters with corners off, or at least the field corner playing off. So you're going to play, you know, that corner is going to play at eight yards and he's playing that deep zone. That's, that's his thing. And normally in modern quarters stuff, the stuff that most teams are running, the base coverage that most teams in the country run is a quarters family defense, but it's cover seven, which is a Saban style defense. It's a match match quarters where those corners are reading through the 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 outside wide receiver. They're reading through to number two and number three, and then they're going to sift essentially whichever player is going to release vertically in their space becomes their player. And so, you know, you get switch releases, all sorts of things, and that just gets switched out by those secondary players. And then they're going to, they're going to match to whatever's coming into their zone, which means that you're reading through your player to the inside. Now it's easier to do that, especially as a field corner when you're playing off, because you can actually, you, you can read step that you can shuffle it. And you can actually keep your eyes through and watch through to the quarterback. And all of this is happening with communication. Now on the short side, the boundary corner, most cover seven teams are going to press that guy because there's often not a whole lot for him to read. A lot of times that's a single receiver side, at which point you solo it. So that guy, you know, sort of has his own, it becomes a man coverage situation on the, on the boundary side as often as not. And if they do have twins over there, he can still press to that. And then, you know, you're going to kind of press bail or you're going to do, you know, a press shuffle technique where he's going to play and he's going to open up and be able to look through uh, to that one-on-one. That's a little different from what Narduzzi does with Narduzzi. Generally speaking, the traditional, this goes back to Michigan state days under D'Antonio all the way up through Pitt used to be Michigan state's quarters defense. Now it's Pitt's. Uh, they, it's a, it's a quarters family coverage with both corners pressed. They want to get physical with you. They want to disrupt your, your releases. They want to take away some of the stuff that you do against standard quarters and against standard match looks just by disrupting those, those wide receivers on the outside. And so they're going to play more true zone with those corners on the outside. Now it turns into a one-on-one once you release those guys vertical on the outside, but they're going to press those guys. Now, if you're going to try to run those guys inside and, and, you know, slant them and all of that, then those corners are going to press them towards the inside and they are going to release them because it is a zone defense still, but they're going to press it first and then, uh, and, and try to disrupt it. And then they're going to pass that along to the underneath coverage. 
But that that's sort of the priority is they're going to press to disrupt you while still essentially trying to play to prevent you from being able to throw those verticals on the outside. Now, where this defense ends up being vulnerable is, first of all, they 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 are going to, to out of this quarters family coverage that they like to play. They're more aggressive in the box than most teams that are going to play a quarters look. They're going to bring more blitzes and stay in quarters on the back end. And, you know, Narduzzi's take is if you play one coverage almost all the time and you're playing it really well, your guys can play fast and they know exactly what they're going to do. You can blitz in front of it. You can do all sorts of stuff. And they they're going to adjust on the fly much faster because they they're just used to playing what you play. So what they'll do is they'll bring five, they'll bring six and they'll stay in quarters behind it. They might tighten up this guy or that guy or loosen up this guy or that guy, but they'll stay in quarters behind it. And the other thing is that they are, they're de- decoupling that quarters behind from the, from some of the, what they're doing in the front. They'll potentially put seven guys in the box, even against a, a, a little bit smaller personnel. They'll put six in the box and they'll be six heavies and they'll commit to stopping the run first with those guys. That's what they do. They're going to play quarters. They're going to press you on the outside so you can't quit game as easily. So they're going to disrupt some of the stuff that you might want to do on that. And then they're going to commit to stopping the run on the inside. And they're going to sell out with that defensive front. They're going to try to get those guys downhill, single gap, get those the front four upfield, creating penetration, create disruption, let those linebackers trigger quickly and clean up behind it. And they're going to force you to either abandon the run at least this is their philosophy. They're going to try to force you to abandon the run and then throw into the teeth of that quarters situation. And again, because they're playing over the top, they don't think they're going to give up a bunch of big plays because they've got, you know, four four deep situations and they're they're uh they are zoning that. They don't think they're going to give up a bunch of those big plays and again, they're disrupting some of your quick game stuff with the press. So it's a it's a pretty elegant solution to a lot of what modern offenses like to do. Now, the issue is that it requires that your that your safeties and your corners be able to hold up in those downfield one-on-ones really really well and in particular it's vulnerable to a lot of the double post type stuff to the you know mills concept that spurrier uh really liked to run which is a, a dig from the number two receiver on the inside from the slot or a uh, tight end and a big boy post from the outside wide receiver over the top what that's going to do is you're going to get that safety who's responsible for that inside quarter. He's going to have to take the vertical on the dig or on the double post, that inside post. He's going to have to take that, and that's going to leave you an outside leverage deep coverage player from the corner covering a post, and it's a bad leverage situation where you're going to be able to throw it over the top of that safety's head, and you've got a guy, you've got a corner who's desperately trying to catch up from that outside leverage position. So almost every time you watch Pitt play, you're going to see them give up at least one, maybe two, sometimes three big plays on those kinds of concepts. Thing that Mike Norvell likes to run against this sort of thing is a lot of post-climb. So post-climb, you have a deep cross or over route or drive route that's going to come across the formation from one side, and it's going to try to occupy that same safety along with, again, the big boy post over the top. And if the safety comes down against the drive, then you hit the big boy post. If you hit the 
if you uh, if the safety stays up, as is often the case in this kind of situation, if the safety sees that that post and decides to try to take that away, then you hit that drive or that climb concept as it clears into the, the second uh, second void there behind the backers and you get a big play either way. Norvell loves that concept. They run the heck out of it. And this is a game where it's a, a really good concept. Now, again, the key there, if you're if you're pit, because you're putting those guys in those positions where your safeties are having to single cover a lot in those in those situations, they're not carrying verticals as much with the underneath coverage because they're so fixated on stopping the run. Those safeties are going to have to be able to cover almost like corners. And then those corners are going to be in positions where they're going to have to cover from oftentimes outside leverage if you get past that jam on some in-breaking routes. And that can be really, uh, really beneficial to any quarterback that can throw well down the field. And Jordan Travis does. So how does Florida State attack this team? Well, first of all, I don't think Pitt has what they've had up front in recent years. And Narduzzi has, has said as much. This is a Pitt team that you can actually run the football against which is really, really bad news for Pitt coming into this game. Because Pitt's one shot here is for Florida State to be completely one-dimensional and for them to be able to, and for them to basically just misfire, for Florida State to misfire on some of the deep shots that they're going to be able to, to get. But that, that doesn't look likely. Notre Dame ran for almost five yards a carry, 4.7 yards a carry against Pitt. Wake Forest ran for 4.2 yards per carry against Pitt. You can, you can run on this pit team with some success if you've got a balanced offense. Now, North, North Carolina, who's got a good run offense, 39 carries for 77 yards, 1.97 yards per carry. That's not great. But they also threw the ball all over the yard and scored 41 points. I think what you're doing with, with Florida State here, you do try to keep your balance running the football some, but this is a throw the football on first down throw some RPOs, especially to RPOs to the tight ends and to the slot receivers in this game. You're going to get opportunities there because of how much they trigger against the run from those inside players. You're going to get opportunities to hit some of those guys on RPOs and on other stuff, play action, that sort of thing. You hit that middle intermediate area in this game and you've got, you've got some real stuff to work with. You also know that you're going to get a bunch of one-on-ones down the field. And again, if you're pit, this is not a team that you want to have a lot of those one-on-ones with. Now, Florida State's banged up at wide receiver, and you know who exactly is is going to be on the receiving end of all of those is is a different question. But even if you're looking at you know primarily Darian Williamson and and Hakeem Williams, you know as the types of guys that are going to get more of those targets than in other weeks. Those are still guys that are going to have good matchups against some of the corners and, and defensive backs, the safeties that, that Pitt's going to throw out there. You're still going to have to execute. But the thing that, that I think is most positive coming out of this, uh, coming into this game is Florida State's been pretty balanced and Jordan Travis has not been putting the ball in danger. And I think your danger here is if you turn the ball over like Louisville did, then you're putting yourself in a potential position for an upset. If Florida State doesn't kick it around and turn it over, you know, four times and miss out on a couple of uh, fourth, you know, fourth down and short attempts and that sort of thing, I think they should win this game comfortably. And I think this is a game where they're going to be able to to generate some some offense in either the passing game or the running game. I think they're going to be able to run on them a little bit, and I think they'll be able to pass on them 
pretty well. So, I mean, I don't think Notre Dame offensively is what Florida State has been, and Notre Dame averaged 8.23 yards per play against Pitt. Now, that was at Notre Dame, so a little bit of a difference there, but Notre Dame was able to basically handle things pretty well. 4.7 yards per per uh, per rush for Notre Dame in that game. And I think somewhere in the same vicinity, somewhere in the you know four and a half to five yards of carry, and then some success in the big play passing game is the key. Now, again, Jordan Travis not turning it over. The the ball security thing for the offense is is paramount, and I think they'll be able to to hang with that. That's been the trend all season. I don't see a whole lot of reason that that would change here, but uh, but that's got to be something that you reinforce, that you emphasize coming into this game because Pitt is very opportunistic. They're very physical and very uh, very scrappy, so you know that they're going to be clawing at that ball. And it just has to be a point of emphasis this week. Okay, so now we're getting to the summary and predictions part of it. And I I just think this game is likely to be relatively uncompetitive. I think coming off of that loss at Notre Dame last week, they're going to be playing another team that's a comparable buzzsaw. And, uh, you know, FSU is banged up. This is a game that that precedes a, a big game for Florida State. But... I think this is this is a this is a really good matchup for what Florida State wants to do. It's not the best matchup for Pitt. So something in the same range of what Notre Dame did. I don't think it'll be quite as as bad because I I, I think, you know, repeat performance of five turnovers from Pitt is probably unlikely. But something like that is I think in the cards. Maybe a little bit of a slower burn up front as the as this becomes a bit of a crockpot game. But I think uh something in the range of you know, 45 to 13 would be sort of what I would expect in this game based on what I've seen from Pitt so far this year and what I've seen from FSU. Uh, Question is, can the defense hold them in single digits prior to garbage time? And uh, can the offense really stay untracked and make sure that they execute, even with being as banged up as they are in, in certain spots, can they execute at the level that they need to to be able to get cushion early? I mean, this is a pit team that if you give them some hope early, which is something that that Louisville did, they could potentially, you know, hang with you for a little bit longer. But like I said, I think this is one of those games where uh, by the end of the fir- by the end of the first half, you're probably looking at something like uh, twenty eight to twenty eight to seven or thirty one to seven, and then it's just a matter of finishing. And this team hasn't done a, a super great job of just finishing and blowing teams out once it once they get to that point. So. Somewhere in the you know forty one or forty five to thirteen range is kind of what I would expect. I'm going to go with forty five to thirteen as my anticipated score here, and uh, I will talk to you again after the game. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Post and repost episodes on social media and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks 
also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>